People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Oh my gosh, I'm on a tear, I'm on a tear today. When did voting rights become wrong? I don't even know where to start with this. Well, I do know where I'm going to start with it today. The assault on voting rights is an assault on democracy. And I'm bringing back Allison Gaines to talk about this one today. She is a writer, an editor, and the co-founder of Writers and Editors of Color. She's pursuing her Ph.D. in psychology, and she writes about race, women, history, and politics. Uh, all subjects that are important to the listeners of Outspoken. Uh, Allison, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. All of this talk about John Lewis and the voting rights. And, and I know you have a lot of uh, historical information, and certainly Martin Luther King Day has come and gone at this point. And what in the world is going on with voting rights in the United States of America? Well, unfortunately, um, we are backpedaling. We made progress during... Um, the time when when John Lewis and activists like Martin Luther King Jr. were fighting to get the voting rights legislation passed, and we simply do not have those same rights that we had that they want. So we're trying to reestablish. Well, I should say a lot of us are trying to reestablish those rights. Trying to reestablish rights that we already have. I think we're seeing had. I think we're seeing that in many cases. Certainly, we're looking at the Roe versus Wade situation with the same idea, but. Why? Why is voting rights, why are voting rights such an issue? I think it's because of who turned out for the last election. Um, black and minority voters were were very much responsible for um, championing the Democrats into the majority. And I think as a strategy, some Republicans and conservatives have dedicated themselves to trying to limit certain people's access to the ballot box because it benefits them. Well, they can't seem to win an election, so they've decided to rig the election by voter suppression. I mean, but do we see this historically anyway? I mean, are we going back to after Reconstruction? What's happening from a historical perspective, from from your point of view? I feel like from a historical perspective, we're absolutely going back into a time that's very much like Reconstruction. Um, And also, uh, people, a lot of people don't realize that Really, the Civil Rights Act was, um, and the movement was in reaction to the white backlash that happened after Reconstruction. So we've kind of been kind of pushing the ball back and forth the whole time. But I think that um, right now, the relevance of it just couldn't be more real because of how um, the Supreme Court has gutted the second um, the second statute of the Voting Rights Act and really weakening our ability to really have checks and balances on on the rules that states create. And so uh, how does this benefit uh, the opposition, I guess we need to call it at this point? I mean, what benefit do they accrue uh, and why are they able to use the techniques and strategies that they're employing right now? Right. Well, I would say their motivation is power. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. They're having trouble winning popular, winning the popular vote in a lot of places, um, especially uh, urban 
um, highly dense um, areas like New York, California, or even cities in the South like New York and Tennessee. Certain big areas are difficult for them to win. So these strategies like gerrymandering, which is pretty much when um, our uh, electorate, they get to decide who their voters will be as opposed to vice versa. Um, and, and these voting rights, these voting um, blocks that they're doing legislatively are all designed to make it more difficult to vote because they know that we're never going to have that in legislature where they're going to specifically say black people can't vote. So they're going to do everything in their possible to make us feel that same effect without that same language being used. You know, what's interesting, as you're talking about that, and I was making that parallel to uh, the restrictions on abortion, and I was thinking that this is not, this strategy has been uh, employed uh, almost identically uh, to what happened to um, women's uh, right to choose and the medical facilities available to produce, to to serve women at those levels. I mean, what they, they did not say that, Roe versus Wade was illegal um, or that it was illegal to have an abortion, although Texas is pretty much saying that to us right now. But what their strategy that they employed was to eliminate the providers. And so they made it more restrictive and more difficult to be a provider. And what we're basically saying on the voting rights is, well, they're not saying black people can't vote, but they're just employing ways to make it impossible to vote. So if it's impossible to get uh, reproductive health care services, you can't have them. If it's impossible, right, if it's impossible for people to vote and minorities and women to vote, you can't vote. So we're seeing a similar strategy. What else will be the next target of this strategy? It seems successful for them. I think um, LGBTQ rights, I think that, I think the civil rights of all Americans are on the line. Because let's be clear, while marginalized groups like black people and women, um, we desperately need these protections. I think that a lot of people get lost in the sauce and whether you like any of these groups specifically, understand that the bigger fight is about having equal access to civil liberties for all Americans. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I I personally think that that's a winning message, and I think that that has to be part of the way we understand it, is that um, they may not come for you today, but they might come for you tomorrow, like the brown kids in cages on the border. Uh, You know, what what kind of message does that send to people of color and other immigrants in the United States of color who have to consider how they will be treated in the future? We can't wait till it's us to act. That's uh, that's a very important thing, um, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, people, if they don't identify with a particular, and, and in fact, it was funny. Um, this was part of one of my uh, one of our shows that we did here was about, from my point of view, it, the Texas law that happened around abortion was, from my point of view, was not. It was about abortion, but it wasn't strictly about abortion. It was about employing the elements of making that impossible and about deputizing or encouraging vigilante groups in order to enforce laws. And that was way more important to me than even the ability for women to get the kind of services that they needed because this means they can use that same technique on all of the civil liberties that you're talking about right now. Exactly. And they already are. I mean, look at what DeSantis is doing in Florida. He's trying to pass legislation to create his own special police force for voting. And that's terrifying as as a black voter in the South. 
to have to deal with the fact that what is that going to mean for us? Why do we why does he need additional police? I mean, that. So you're right. We're we're empower they're empowering vigilantes. And they're also when it comes to black people getting a little bit more bold with um, empowering these formalized systems of checks and balances and of, of frankly, just terrifying the bejesus out of some some voters. It's uh, it seems like the um, the legitimization of the Ku Klux Klan to me, uh, bu- building the militias and building the, an army in order to serve a particular point of view. Exactly. And with King's Day just passing, we're now reflecting on a time when people, when Americans have to decide. This is not about Republican or Democrat, independent or libertarian. This is about democracy versus not democracy. And when we reflect on King's words, a lot of people love throwing that I have a dream speech around. But I personally love the, the letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail when he warned that it was not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner but the white moderate who's more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you and the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. (laughs) That's what we're dealing with today. Mm. I want to talk more about that, but we have a special message. We're going to follow that train of thought, so stay with us, Allison Gaines. Thank you. Our podcast today is made possible by the generous support of My Little Flower Shop in Palm Springs. They are the premier full-service floral and event design studio in our beautiful desert cities. The staff has more than 50 years of experience designing, planning, and executing one-of-a-kind, high-profile social, corporate, and charity benefit special events. That experience includes the Academy Awards and Presidential Inaugurations. So whether you are planning a wedding, a birthday, showers, or anniversary parties, or you're organizing a big banquet, My Little Flower Shop uses only the finest flowers and will help you celebrate in style. Everyday arrangements, wedding bouquets, centerpieces, and amazing unique designs. Call My Little Flower Shop. Open daily, 9 to 5. The phone number is 760-778-7111. That's 760-778-7111. And visit them online for visual inspiration, mylittleflowershop.com at 861 North Palm Canyon in Palm Springs. They're open for delivery and an official sponsor of Outspoken. And we are with Allison Gaines, writer and editor and co-founder of Writers and Editors of Color. And we're talking about the assault on voting rights is an assault on democracy itself. And we were just uh, identifying some of the words of Martin Luther King from the Birmingham jail and what was really on his mind about, uh, well, I think you called them moderate Democrats. Talk to me a little bit about not only his perspective, Uh, and maybe even the difference between his perspective and Malcolm X's perspective, but um, what does that all mean? I mean, what are we looking at in today's terms about moderates themselves? I feel like it's so sad. The story of the white moderate in America is so sad because it's like this group of Americans who is not radically, you know, siding with racists, but who refuse to do what needs to be done to protect the greater good. And what I mean by the greater good is I just mean the rights of all citizens. And I think um, 
King called them white moderates, but I think that in uh, my generation, we're starting to be calling them white conservatives because I really don't see how else we can we can phrase it because either you want to progress because you realize that things are not fair or you're trying to gaslight us into thinking it's fair. And um, I think that when we think about King and um, Malcolm X's message, I think that they were two sides of the same coin. They were both um, black men who were very much interested in trying to bring together the community around the idea that we should have equality. They just differed in the strategies that they meant to, per- to pursue it. Whereas King is better known for his nonviolent or peaceful protests, Malcolm X is better known for uh, basically promoting black people's right to self-defense, which may be controversial, but as human beings, we do have that right. So um, how do you think, uh, and, and, and if you don't mind me asking, how do you fall on these two different strategies? I find that, um, I don't find like I have to seek, sacrifice either or. If, um, if, if someone attacks a black person, they should definitely defend themselves just the way a white person would. But I also feel that um, politically speaking, um, nonviolent protest is, I do feel that that is the path forward because it's only through organizing and helping people understand why we're doing this that we're going to really bring a change. And I think that Martin Luther King Jr. set a good example for how to create a multicultural, multiracial coalition. Um, And as Americans, black people are approximately 13% of the population. So while I consider myself pro-black, I definitely welcome, you know, allies of, of different races, which tends to be other people of color, but some white people too, and when we come together and we fight for equality, I think we could come off on top. Um, unfortunately, I think that Malcolm X kind of gets a bad rap. Um, I think that he was not, um, he wasn't as tolerable to a lot of uh, white people. He terrified them. Mm-hmm. Um, but to a lot of us, he was just a brilliant hero who, who kind of humanized us in a way, who saw that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel frustrated. And I think that we can hear a lot of that in, um, in King's speeches as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it's interesting that they may have talked about it differently, but I think there certainly were some similarities in the, in the messages messaging, which was it's time to stand up for ourselves. And I think that was clear on both sides of that. Both Both messages kind of paralleled that part of it. But when I think about some of the the right to defend yourself this doesn't seem to apply to people of color i don't see people of color uh being supported on the on the laws like uh stand your ground laws for example or dylan roof gets you know led right out of the um the uh issue in the church after killing nine people and he's still alive i mean these are the kinds of things that i'm i'm amazed at um, the laws that are employed in order to protect white ter- uh, white domestic terrorists, basically, versus black uh, and other minorities, uh, people of color, standing up for themselves. This is this is obviously everyone is not equal under the law here. Exactly, it's like officially we're supposed to be equal under the law, but what we're learning it, what we're learning, and what King knew in his generation, and that they knew before him, is that the application of Americans' laws are flawed. So what black people and a lot of minorities are essentially fighting for is more, uh, more accountability, more evaluation of how things are going, rather than just to tell us just to accept it. If we see the more black people are dying from police brutality or ending up in jail or being convicted or serving longer sentences than their white counterparts, 
then I feel like we have a social responsibility to address that. And I think it's so unfortunate that we kind of get labeled as the radicals because I feel like if you're really an American and you're really proud of these ideals that are in our Constitution, then you want everyone to be treated equally. Well, you know, I'm going to take a little uh, step into um, domestic violence for just a second on those same ideas. And I know we're a little bit far away from voting rights, but I think it's it, it, it does portend around the issues of, suppre- of voter suppression. For example, um, fe- I feared for my life. Now, this seems to be a justification for uh, defending yourself because you feared for your life. Now, how many women... Uh, who have been in abusive situations are in in prison for murdering partners and boyfriends and and husbands because they basically feared for their life, but they weren't under attack in that particular moment. Their life was not at risk, even though they may have show a history of being put in the hospital for uh, physical abuse. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, like well, in my field battered wife syndrome, um, which depending on who is the psychologist that's analyzing them may diagnose someone with that. I think that it's um, it's unfortunate that it seems like white men are the ones that kind of get the perks of the, the protections. Like if they say that they're in fear, they can shoot an unarmed black person or, you know, but, you know, we have a lot more, black people have a lot more trouble doing it. As far as women, I think women have the biggest trouble with people just not believing women or what I like to say is pretending not to believe mm-hmm. um, because I feel like it, it's more comfortable for them to just say that a woman is lying rather than to address like the mean treatment that we often get. And um, I'm one of those people where I, I don't, I believe in oh, that someone should only hurt someone if they are in danger themselves. Um, but I feel like there are psychological problems that we do have to address. And I just feel like, um, when a white person kind of does a mass shooting, it's always like that they have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And when a black person does it, it's always like, well, you're heinous. Or when a woman does it, it's like, well, you're crazy. Right. Why is it that we never get that same kind of consideration? Mm-hmm. They do. There is the um, uh, lone wolf. They, uh, he acted because he had problems with his mother. I mean, you know, it's interesting that the narratives support the power structure against the actual victims. And so, therefore, they are employed in order to protect the actual perpetrators in many cases, particularly when it's about race and gender. I think that becomes clear. And I and to jump into the voting rights situation, I think we're employing that same thing. Instead of voting rights and voting is makes a democracy, it's protecting the actual abuser and perpetrators of oppression. Exactly. We're being treated like we're the bad guys for wanting everyone to have equal access to the ballot box when in reality, that's the, that's the game we're supposed to be playing. So if we're playing another game, why not just basically be honest and let us know what that game is? Because if we really want a democracy, then we should be empowering people to vote. And I feel like Republicans and conservatives, they should not be afraid of people voting. Why not come up with policies that actually address the concerns of the people? That's literally what their job is supposed to be and rather than do that they want to push unpopular policies on us Mm -hmm. and the only way they can do that is limit our our voice limit our access to say what we want that's right limiting our voice well do you see any solutions to these situations allison i mean do you see any 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 
well, just a few solutions to these great challenges that we're facing right now. I mean, we see what's going on with, for example, Stacey Abrams in Georgia. They're trying, certainly trying to push many laws forward to suppress that that uh, voter, uh, the, the votes there. Do you see other, a solution? Yes. I think that for starters, we have to educate the public. A lot of people feel defeated right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of, and especially a lot of Democrats and a lot of progressives, we feel let down. We feel disappointed. And I think that we need to organize about why, where that disappointment is and how we could address it. So because Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have decided to oppose voting rights, um, we need to, instead of just giving up like, oh, we voted for the Democrats, it didn't work. We need to evaluate why it didn't work and focus on those races. Mm-hmm. We need to be focusing on who supports us and who doesn't support us and putting our effort in now, not five minutes before the election. The second is we have to register and we have to check to make sure that we're registered because there have been many attempts to purge voters from the, from the rolls. You want to make sure that you're actually voting. The third is you want to make sure that you know where your polling stations are because a lot of them have been closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and fourth, you want to check what, what changes were made in my state. So you want to make sure that you're not going to the poll with a, a, an incorrect understanding of what you have ahead of you. Um, and then lastly, I just think we have to, I hate to say it, but we have to make voting cool again. I mean, a lot of young people are disenfranchised. We feel like we've been, you know, and we've talked about this before, but our generation, like in our limited experience, we just feel like all we've seen is this thing go downhill. And we need to empower people to feel that. You know, politics is the science of power. If we want things to change, we have to stay involved and stay interested, despite the setbacks, despite everything. In in this time, and and this is an interesting thing, and I know we did talk about that, uh, the younger generations just sort of seeing, well, it's not working. I mean, but this is is their first time through this kind of thing, and and I know you and I had spoken about this. How do you think it looks like that? How do you think that looks to us who are older who have been fighting this same damn battle since we were able to vote, you know, and able to get out there? But I think in a time of social media influencers and leadership from uh, younger generations. Where is that leadership? And they have the power of, I don't know, uh, a million followers, uh, 25,000 million likes. I mean, the, the ability to organize is there. How do we move it to this political place that you just described? Well, it's kind of an unpopular idea, but to be honest, we need a win. We need a win like there's no tomorrow. If we had a win, it would be so easy because that's what influencers are drawn to. They want to talk about things that are popular. They don't want to talk about supporting the Democrats in this dark time. You know, we have we need a win. And that's what my fear is as a as a as an activist, that if we don't get that win, it's going to be really difficult to generate the votes necessary, because how do we get people to believe mm-hmm. that it's that it's worth it or how do we get them to understand that voting is a long-term investment because that's more of the way that i consider it but i feel like when we talk about social media and how things happen so quickly in order to get them involved um and then there's also writing like i have my writers group writers and editors of color we're starting um woke's case for voting rights um starting in march 1st and we're gonna as writers and activists we're going to write and we're going to make the case for why people should support voting rights legislation and why people should vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's, it's going to be difficult, but I think a win could help. 
Well, uh, I will say this. I will say you certainly uh, are true to your word. You get the word out on many, many levels. I'm, as you know, I'm an avid reader of yours. I learn something every time, and you put out lots of information, and you have you're relentless in your in your willingness to move us all forward. But I want one more question before we. say uh, thank you to your participation today what would that win what would this tell me about the win what would it look like i think if we if we won if we won on voting rights or criminal justice reform um something that actually affects black black people are the number one group of democrats we are the ones who support democrats the most over 89 percent we want policies that address our issues. If we get that win, then you will have the Democratic Party and the progressives will have our commitment. And we will trust that we can move forward together. As it is right now, that that's an uphill battle. But I feel like people like me, we're in we're in for the battle. But if you want us to be able to convince fence sitters, then that win is gonna have to be triumphant. It's gonna have to be one that's gonna change our lives. Mm-hmm. And if we do that then I think that it'll be very easy to get people to understand why this is worth fighting for. Well, I think you're right about that. Certainly voting rights would be a big win. Um, And I think that's particularly why the opposition does not want us to win that one because of exactly what you just said. Uh, But uh, I'm with you and I'm in it to win it. So, Allison, thank you for coming on to our show today. And I know I'll be calling you again This is the uh, Outspoken with Allison Gaines today. The assault on voting rights is an assault on democracy. Thank you, Allison. Thank you.